I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Chapter 23, The Yule Ball. Despite the very heavy load of homework that the fourth years had been given for the holidays, Harry was in no mood to work when term ended and spent the week leading up to Christmas enjoying himself as fully as possible. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Tech-Kyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, do you have to feel guilty about being unprepared today, or do you have a story? I do have a story, and I'm a little sheepish about telling it. Vanessa, before I moved to America, I was in a relationship with a man who I liked very much. And the relationship was wonderful in many ways, but it ended in a way where I think both of us weren't entirely proud of how we'd acted. And it seemed that the best thing to do for us was just to break off all contact. We had one of those awkward meetings at a train station where I picked up my stuff and we didn't speak again. I moved to America, moved to a different country. And months passed, uh, about six months passed, and it was my first fall in America. And it was the Jewish New Year, and my friend Zoe invited me to come to this lovely event. He was hosting in the park. He had a guitar, lots of nice new friends. I was like, great. And this was my first kind of Jewish New Year celebration, and I learned that as part of that, a lot of it is reflecting on the year previous and maybe to atone for some things that you feel you made mistakes with or errors you made. And so it was a really rich reflection time of like, where could I have done better? And the thing that came up for me so strong was the ending of the relationship. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to just write him a letter to say, I wish you well. I'm so sorry. You know, some time has passed. I hope we've both healed and we can move on together. I think of you fondly. And I didn't hear from him for a couple of days. And then I got a really intense email back saying, how dare you write to me? Like, I asked you not to contact me. You're violating a boundary I've set here. You might think that this is helpful. Maybe it's helpful for you, but it's not for me. Don't contact me ever again. And I was so hurt by it because I'd wanted to, I guess, release the guilt that I felt. But hopefully by doing that, also free him of guilt that he felt to show that I wasn't angry. 
And I just felt like I'd made it worse. And it really challenged my assumption of what do we do with guilt? Because I've always kind of sat with the idea that you might try and act on it in some way to improve the situation. But this experience really led me to believe sometimes you just have to sit with it and there's nothing you can do. And I was really reminded of this feeling as we read this chapter through the theme of guilt, particularly in Ron's realization of how he's treated Hermione and how, yeah, he's just made a massive mistake and he feels guilty about it. And the way he handles it only makes it worse. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of conversations now in response to the Me Too movement that guilt and shame are two of the tactics that we have to deal with people who do not do criminal things, but who treated women really poorly. And it's been an interesting reframe for me because I've always thought of guilt as a terrible thing. And instead, there are now these conversations about guilt as a strategy. And I feel like your story is talking about sitting with guilt as a strategy to become a better person, right? By sitting with that guilt, maybe it's I can't fix every mistake I make, and therefore in my next relationship, I want to behave better because I know that I can't apologize my way out of every mistake that I make, and therefore I just don't want to behave in a way that I will feel guilty about. Yeah, I learned so much from that experience, and for sure I behave differently But it's interesting, right, because I still don't think that guilt and shame are good things. No. (laughs) But I do think that there are times that we we can turn them from, like, a weapon of self-harm into a tool to be better people. You know what else will make you a better person? Beating you in the 30-second recap. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Our transitions. I mean, I don't know why we haven't won a Peabody yet just for that. It's like a well-sewn dress. It's seamless. Okay, Casper, are you ready? Yes, bring it on. Wow me in three, two, one, go. Okay, this is a fabulous chapter. There's awkward dancing. They walk in. Oh, my God. Crumb with who's this girl in the blue dress? Oh, my God. It's Hermione. Shock, horror, jaw drop. Um, Hagrid is uh, booted and suited up again. He's talking to Maxime outside saying, well, I knew. Oh, no, he's not French. But, like, I knew it was you. And she's like, what did you know? And they go half a giant. What? I'm so ridiculed. I'm embarrassed. Go away. And there's this, like, little beetle that's listening to everything. And Karkaroff and um, and Snape is like, Igor, don't you feel it? And Snape's like, go away. So much more happens. No, that was it. (laughs) Can you fill in the rest? I shall try, my love. Here we go. Three, two, one. Vanessa, go. Sirius writes Harry a letter being like, you're not out of the woods yet. And it's Christmas. And Dobby is like, I made you socks. And Harry's like, I got you this old sock. And Ron is like, please take all of this. And they go to the Yule Ball. And Harry and Ron are terrible dates. And Ron is like, Hermione, the only reason Victor Crumb would want to go on a date with you is in order to get to Harry. (gasps) And Percy Weasley is so annoying and is like, oh, I was promoted. And Harry was like, is he still calling you Weatherby? And then the thing happens with Hagrid and Maxime and Karkaroff and Snape. So much happens. So much happens. Casper, I think that you brought up in your story, you know, one of the biggest things that I certainly saw in reading this chapter through the theme of guilt. This is something actually that my friend Amanda says to me. There was once that I messed up really badly with her and I started being like really nice to her because I was embarrassed. And she was like, please don't behave like that just because you feel guilty. You apologized. Let's move on. Mm. And I think that Ron feels guilty that he didn't ask her first and is just, I mean, like hand him a shovel. He is digging his own grave. This boy. 
Well, not only digging his own grave, but like using it to lash out at everyone. That line that Crumb would only ask you to get close to Harry. And Hermione's like, he has never once asked or talked about Harry. That's what I love about Hermione in this whole episode is she does nothing to make Ron feel guilty or to make Harry feel guilty, right? She sees Harry and Pavati and she's like, hi, Harry, hi, Pavati. Like, it's just normal. But Ron is stewing in this guilt soup and is drowning. So I agree that this is guilt, but it's other things, too, that Ron is feeling, right? stupid. He feels stupid. He feels jealous out of his mind. I think that the place that we really see his guilt is in constantly trying to find out who she's going with. At the beginning of the chapter, he keeps trying to, like, quote-unquote, trick her into telling him as if Hermione has, like, literally ever been tricked in her life. He's like, oh, what weather is it? What's two plus two? Who are you going to the ball with? And I feel like that is where we really see his guilt. He's like, who could it be? How did I mess this up? But throughout the rest of the chapter, do you think it's guilt? I read it as jealousy. Vanessa, I know we've talked about this before, but I I feel like we're seeing again that difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am bad. And I think Ron is falling back into a story of I'm worthless. Fleur rejected me. Hermione's rejected me. My family isn't interested in me. Harry only likes me because I'm here. Once you're in that, once you're in that soup, then you're in real danger. And I feel that that's why he starts lashing out in these really negative ways. When he's in the guilt phase, it's a playful questioning of, oh, so who are you going with? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the weather, right? Like that kind of thing. But now that he's in shame mode, it's shouting, it's blaming other people. Like he's unable to acknowledge his own mistakes. I feel that that's the difference. Like he's in a place where he's mortified. Right. And I wonder if it's that somebody else saw that Hermione was beautiful before he did. And I wonder if that's the thing that he feels shame about. Crumb asked her out before she fixed her teeth, before she had her hair straightened, right? Like Crumb went to the library, met her where she was and was appreciating her for who she is and how big of an idiot am I that this superstar of the world could see it and I missed it. But also that it is a superstar who gets Hermione because Ron is surrounded by superstars who get what they want. I don't even think he's conscious that he feels attraction for Hermione. You know, we can talk more about that. But someone who he loves is being taken away from him, in quotes, by someone famous and beloved and popular. But Hermione really tries, right? She tries to be vulnerable. I know it's at the very end of the chapter. She says, you know how you can fix this. Next time there's a ball, ask me before someone else does and not as a last resort, which is her saying to him, I would have gone with you if you would have asked in a nice way. And I want to go with you next time. I want, right? I would have happily gone with you. And like, you just need to admit that to yourself. But because he's gone from guilt to shame, his response instead is, well, that just proves completely missed the point. I'm somebody who, when I feel guilty about something, goes into a place of shame. And I agree with you that that is where guilt becomes completely unproductive. I'm wondering how we prevent ourselves from that. 
I think in some ways Dobby is our perfect teacher. He shows up on Christmas morning. He's knitted socks, not only just any socks. He's got these patterns, and but he really disrupts and frightens Harry. Harry wakes up, thinks that he's being attacked or something. The other boys in the dormitory are like, Harry, are you okay? Are you being attacked by Voldemort? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or peek out. Or just peek out. What's going on? And Dobby doesn't go into this shame narrative when Harry is kind of startled and, and a little bit frustrated and angry with Dobby. He's worried that he's upset Harry, but there isn't a story in his mind of I've done awful things. And, you know, he's able to give his gift and receive gifts as well, even if it's a moldy old sock, but he does get Molly's lovely jumper. And he's able to to somehow stay himself. Like he never gets drowned in a story of shame. Does that make sense? Is there something with Dobby that we can dig out around how to react when you've done something wrong, right? He like basically lands on a sleeping Harry, but he doesn't start knocking his head against the wall saying, bad Dobby, bad Dobby, bad Dobby, which is kind of what Ron is doing in his own way. Yeah. And, you know, I think we also see some of the beauty of Ron in this moment because he helps Dobby make meaning of the socks, right? Dobby is like, oh, socks aren't supposed to match. And rather than mocking Dobby, he's like, well, here's another pair of socks and you can mix and match them, which I think is a really generous moment that we get to see Ron in. And so sometimes I do think that it's our community around us that can come and protect us from going from guilt to shame, right? If Ron's response was like, no, you get socks are supposed to match, you do it wrong. Right. I think that he could have then downshifted into shame, but instead it's just, he just keeps getting more gifts. Oh, I love that. I do think that sometimes friends and generosity can be the difference. Well, and it makes me think back to that Jewish New Year celebration that I went to. Those ritual moments when we reflect as a community are supposed to help transition a feeling of shame. You know, I still feel bad about this thing. I can't get over my feeling of like, I am a bad person. And to ritualize that moment to say, you know, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to burn it in the fire or I'm going to confess my sins or the tradition of the scapegoat, like literally that you would send all the bad things into an animal or the chicken that you swing over your head. There's these kind of rituals which are supposed to take out the guilt or take out the shame out of our bodies and out of our lives into something else so that we can move on. Well, Dobby is a talker. And I think that talking does it because there gets to be sharing of like, oh, I've done that too. And I think that that alleviates some guilt and shame around things. And so I do think that by Dobby being sort of a verbal processor by like, oh, these match. Often when we get gifts and we don't really know what they are, we're like, I love it and just pretend that we understand. And Dobby, by being someone who processes out loud, other people are able to come in and fix it. So I don't think it even has to be a formal ritual. I think that, again, just by loving each other and taking care of each other and and being vulnerable and sharing, we can be saved in these moments. And a really disappointing moment, I think, going back to our first point, is that Hermione says the vulnerable thing at the end, and Harry is so glad to be back together with Ron that he doesn't stand up for Hermione and be a truth teller and be like, I think maybe Hermione is right and you're wrong. And I think that it's possible that Hermione could have been saved Potentially, she feels isolated and alone. And yeah, I think Harry does fail in this moment. I think he could at least pull Hermione aside and be like, I agree. And like, he's being a jerk. I love him, but he's being a jerk. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, Vanessa, we're going to get a little obscure here, but... This theme of guilt showed up for me in the Dursley's Christmas gift to Harry. First of all, let's acknowledge it's kind of weird that everyone is there on Christmas Day. I mean, you can have a Yule ball, not on Yule Day. Let everyone go home to their families, maybe. This is not that big a deal to keep everyone locked away in a secret castle away from the people who love them the most. No, it's a school dance. That's all it is. (laughs) Also, maybe throw more than one school dance every hundred years. But the the Dursleys. Yeah, I want to talk about gift giving because I notice, obviously, they give this hilarious single tissue of paper, which they make the effort to send in the mail. And who knows how normal mail gets to Hogwarts? Let's leave that for another day. But they are obviously making some effort to send a gift, but the gift is so insultingly small that it's obviously not about the gift itself. It's about the act of gift giving. And I feel like so much of what we buy for one another is not done out of love. It is done out of guilt. The amount of Christmas presents and birthday presents are given, even wedding presents, are given from the sense of, I ought to do this. It's not that I know what you want and how many things get re-gifted or thrown away, frankly, that are never wanted. Can we think about guilt and gift giving? Yes, except that I'm going to avoid your question a little bit because I don't think the Dursleys are giving him this gift out of any sort of guilt. I think that they're trying to be mean. They're saying, it's not that we forgot you. We remember you. (laughs) We just think this little of you. Oh, that's brutal. (laughs) Don't you think? Why else send a tissue? So here's the thing. I think there is such a strong pressure that that's what you ought to do that even, I mean, the Dursleys don't know what Harry wants. They don't know what he needs because he's in such a different world that Anything they would send might be laughed at. And they think maybe, you know, at least we know he probably needs a tissue to blow his nose. I mean, that is a stretch. I'm with you. But I I do think that the sense of that you haven't done your job right if you haven't given a present. Here's the thing. Aren't gifts, even nominal, like not very good gifts, isn't it about I remember? Isn't it just a sign like, I don't know what to get you, but I care So here is a not very thoughtful gift. 
Is a gift the best way that we can say, I remember you or I'm thinking of you? I don't think it is necessarily the best way. Some of the things I have cherished most over the years are cards or even nice words or... Or flowers. I think that's why I love flowers. Because flowers by themselves are temporal. They will fade and they will die. And so there's there's a moment of the blossoming reconnection in a relationship and then it withers away, you know, and th- that feels so much more true than like, here's a book that I don't know if you've read or are interested in, but here it is. Here's the thing. I am having a hard time with this because I love gift giving and I think I give gifts for one of two reasons. One is out of just love and the other is out of gratitude, right? If somebody really does something thoughtful for me, I feel like I have to give them a gift, which that I think is about power. I'm like, you put in a lot of effort. I can never repay you. And so I'm going to buy you a really thoughtful scarf. I have to show you that I am grateful. But where I'm a bad gift giver is when I feel like I have to give a gift and I'm not in any way inspired Because I don't have enough information. And I mean, you're a great example. I took a year to get you your wedding present because I was like, I don't know what to get them. (laughs) Sometimes it takes me time. I mean, you wanted to make sure that we didn't end it. You wanted (laughs) to be a safe investment. Yeah, I was like, I'm not getting you anything if this ends in a year. So this is helping me out because I think gift giving is one of the five love languages, right? We've explored that before. And so for some people, it might be a natural inclination. And for others, it's a moment of awkwardness. And I'd much rather talk about it. I think for Dobby, gift giving and words are both love languages, <laughs> right? Dobby is just love embodied. He speaks all five love languages fluently. He does. Physical touch, he's going to land on you when you're sleeping. Acts of service. And quality time. <laughs> Dobby equals love, which is why he makes me uncomfortable. But he is love. So let me try and answer my own question here about the Dursleys. Is there kind of ever diminishing size of a gift that arrives every Christmas, really a note to Harry to say, hey, why aren't you sending us a Christmas present? Yes, I am completely compelled by that. It is, how dare you? We have put clothes on your back. It starts with a 50 pence piece and it becomes ever more diminishing because they're like, hey, by the way, you're not remembering to send me a gift. Yeah, it's a guilt-making strategy. Yeah. And it fails completely. Yes, it does. Which, frankly, is something to teach us. Like, when we try and make someone feel guilty without just addressing the problem head-on, it usually doesn't work. Or if they do feel guilty, why do we want them to feel guilty? We just want them to prove that they care enough to feel guilty. So just ask for the care and skip the guilt. I want to say... One person who is incredibly guilty here, who escapes all notice, is Rita Skeeter. Harry notices a beetle around the kind of bushes where he spots Igor Karkarov and Severus Snape, and then later Maxime and Hagrid, and some making out in the bushes. And this beetle is just a passing sentence. But we know that someone is crossing boundaries, collecting information, and using it illegally in all sorts of really damaging ways. And we're going to see her come to a sticky end at the end of this book, um, which is so satisfying, but also so incomplete because we never see her acknowledge her guilt. And I feel like that's one of the things that can heal guilt is when it's acknowledged and when it is talked through in the kind of way that you were talking about. And that's something I, I miss with Rita. Punishment isn't the same thing as absolving guilt. Yes, exactly. And so Hermione punishes Rita in this vicious way that we will talk about when we come to it. But 
it's not satisfying because the thing I think I've learned through this podcast is that the reason that you want people to admit their guilt and that they feel guilty is because that is the way that they promise that they won't do it again. Mm. The reason apologies mean so much mm. to me is because it is a promise that you're going to try that you won't do it again. It's right. not that I want you to feel bad. Right. I want people to say, I'm sorry, because to me, that's a signifier. I understand what I did wrong. Right. I regret that I did it. Right. I don't like that feeling. And so I'm going to try to do better. And a new dawn is possible. Right. And we don't see that in Azkaban. We don't see it with the ministry and we don't see it with Rita. And we've talked about failed pedagogy at Hogwarts, but I feel like this is failed justice systems. Yeah, there's a much bigger picture. Vanessa, we're continuing with our florilegium practice from the Latin flos or floor for flower, and legere to gather, gathering flowers together. And we're going to gather a few snippets of words from the text and put them together into a bouquet, as it were. And the piece of text I chose is, I hope my brothers weren't bothering you, Mr. Bagman. What did you choose? I chose, her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. Let's read them one more time. I hope my brothers weren't bothering you, Mr. Bagman. Her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. Mm. Why didn't you choose that snippet? I am very compelled by moments of desperation, mm. of moments where you realize that you have no control over a situation and you are crying out against it and the only response is silence. I'm very compelled by people who sort of scream at the stars. Hagrid has just accused Maxime of being half-giant, and she says, How dare you, shrieked Madame Maxime. Her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. What about you? Why did you pick your sentence? We've kind of got a running joke that I love Percy on the show. And I think the reason I like Percy is also the reason why I identify as a Slytherin. And, and it's trying to point to what I know are my own failings. I'm attracted by glitz and glamour and power and status. Like, it's exciting to me. And sometimes that's fine. But sometimes you sell out your brothers to ingratiate yourself with an authority figure. You know, that's what Percy's doing right here. And it's such an ugly underbelly of his ambition. I'm not saying ambition is always bad. I think we can have great ambitions in the world. But this, it's dangerous and it's sacrificing the people who should mean the most to him. One of the reasons why I love Book 4 so much is because we see so much of what is about to come even before the characters themselves know what's going to happen. Book five, there's people who have seen the darkness, right? Harry comes back from Voldemort and it's like, he's back, he's back, but people don't believe him. But here already we see what people are capable of before anyone does anything. And that's what every day of our lives is like. Every day we have moments like this where we show what we can become. Oh, it just haunts me, little phrases like this. This is what leads to kill despair. I hope my brothers weren't bothering you. It means that they're disposable in some way. All right, let's read yours first, Vanessa. Her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. I hope my brothers weren't bothering you, Mr. Bagman. <sighs> I know I'm seeing this everywhere right now, but this absolutely reads to me like a really insidious 
sexual harassment situation <gasps> in an office of like a man being like, I hope no one's bothering you oh. while a voice screams out into the night air. Oh, gosh, that's awful. I know. I'm sorry. But the two next to each other just spoke to me of that. And like all of the little times that somebody is just selling someone up the river and a woman is screaming. And that it's dismissed in a sort of false jokey way, right? Yeah. It's whoever's saying that phrase in this context knows full well that they've crossed a line, but they're able to gloss it over by being like, ha, 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 I'm just reaching over here. Yeah. You know, ugh. Stephanie Paulsell has this great idea that she's talking about right now, which is that just because you can intellectually think yourself into a progressive thought does not mean that you have trained your body to act in that way. Mm. And I think that that is another reason why I love the sentence of her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. She's having this visceral reaction. She holds so much shame about the fact that she is whatever it is that her identity is, that she has not practiced having rigorous conversations about it or having honest conversations about it. And so she just explodes in this feeling. So I want to read them the other way around because I think there's something to teach us there too. I hope my brothers weren't bothering you, Mr. Bagman. Her voice exploded through the peaceful night air. And that's the moment we're in right now. I think that reversal, like we're in a moment for sure that things are changing, even if there is much more work to do in terms of the structural questions. Oh, it's super exciting. Do you know what I mean? I feel that voice is in the in the night air right now. Yeah, it's like echoing in the mountains. Yes. Vanessa, I'm always astonished by what we find with this practice. I love the conversation between the two snippets of text. And I want to encourage our listeners, you know, there's a joy in choosing Florilegia by yourself and putting two pieces of text together, but there is an added joy of doing it with someone else. And so if you have lunch with a friend, often, you know, ask them to bring a favorite tweet or it, it doesn't even have to come from literature. I'm just excited by what we're able to learn about each other in the world when we do this. And I hope everyone feels like they have our support to go and do it themselves too. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
This week's voicemail is from Topher Soltis. Hello, Vanessa, Ariana, and Casper. In a few of the episodes this season, you've talked about the ways that the wizarding world may be oppressing muggles, including their extremely liberal use of memory charms. Those actions are sharply contrasted by the history that magical people tell themselves about being in danger from the muggle world. That history of past persecution is how they justify their very troubling actions toward the outside world. I saw some parallels with Christianity. Christian history began with terrible persecution, and that narrative is continued today in ideas like the war on Christmas. I think the narrative of being an oppressed minority can blind some Christians to the enormous power that Christians hold as a group. I was wondering what you three thought about that parallel. Topher, I'm really struck by that parallel of early Christian communities being subjected to violence. And, you know, you have the stories of the martyrs. It just shows us the power of stories. And I think you point to the wizard muggle parallel, which is so true in the toxic nature in which that story of fear creates this dynamic of supremacy that's somehow to like counter the fact that we might have been downtrodden at some point. Now we have to be the best. We can't transform the entire relationship to be one of equal value, just differently expressed. Yeah, that's really insightful. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from this chapter. And I'm going to choose Victor Crumb. Hmm. I feel like he's kind of a silent character throughout the books, even though he plays an enormous role throughout this narrative. And we see how respectful he is of Hermione and then how graceful he is to people who are really awful to him in, in Ron and Harry when he's got drinks for her and she's left them. He's like, have you seen Hermione? <laughs> <laughs> and I, it just made me think how much of what we know about Crumb is written from the eyes of people who don't like him or who idolize him as you know a celebrity or a sportsman. The real victor is never known to us. And so I guess a blessing for anyone who feels unseen or who is not acknowledged for who they really are when they're doing everything right. Well, I'm going to bless Hermione for sort of the other side of that, which is I am someone who really believes that we should call people what they want to be called. And that goes from gender assignment to name. If you want me to call you Cass instead of Casper or you're like, I hate that nickname, I think People have the right to be called what they want to be called. But I also just think it's so generous of Hermione when Crumb is really struggling saying her name. And she's like, you tried. That's good enough. I think there's a real grace in that. And I, I think that Crumb, to your point, allows for that grace by putting such an effort in. But I just love that Hermione sees the effort and accepts the effort as enough, even though he's not going to say her name correctly. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Please, in these last few days, add what you can and help us raise $75,000 and hit 2,000 donors in our crowdfunder. We're so grateful for all of you for joining this effort. Onwards, we will go together. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or leave us a review on iTunes, or send us a voicemail by recording yourself and sending it to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. 
Next week, we'll read chapter 24, Rita Skeeter's scoop through the theme of integrity. This episode is produced by Ariana Nedelman, me, Casper Terkyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. That's me. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're part of the Panoply Network, where you can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail is thanks to Topher Soltis. And this week, we would like to thank, as always, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Julia Argy, and Stephanie Paulsell. Alarm, alarm, ring the alarm. It's a four by four. Ring the alarm. Do you remember that? No. Ah, uh, heat is up. Ladies, fellas, drop the da, 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 da. Me and the, no? Let's no, get but you're dirty. very cute. Razzmatazz.